Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us uh, here at Central Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. well. If you're here in church today, I assume you didn't party like crazy last night. So glad you're here. <laughs> Let me take this time to wish you all a, a happy, joy-filled, Christ-centered New Year. You know, God in His mercy and grace has brought us to a new year, and we give Him all the praise for that. Uh, today I'll wrap up our Advent sermon series, God Who? After this weekend, we will resume our study of Romans when Pastor Henry speaks, and we will be in the book of Exodus on the weekends that he's not speaking. And throughout this Advent sermon series, we highlighted the nature of God as revealed in the incarnation of Christ. If you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is pay attention to the Christmas story. For it reveals a God who is radically different from what most people imagine him to be. And so far in this series, we talked about the God who descends, the God who speaks. And today I want to present to you the God who pursues. Jesus offers us a picture of a God who is pursuing us. Interestingly, at the start of the new year, we emphasize our pursuit of God. Chances are some of you have new year resolutions. All the best with that. Some of you have resolved this year, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to seek God more. I'm going to serve more, give more. At the start of a new year, we focus on what we can do for God, our pursuit of Him. And that is a good thing. No, by all means, pursue God with everything you have. But every now and then, we have to remind ourselves of His pursuit of us. Now, our pursuit of God is only a response to His pursuit. He is the one who initiates it, for that is the Christian testimony. Now, there was a young guy who lived a sensual life, was plagued by vices, struggling with all kinds of lusts. He prayed, oh Lord, make me holy, but not yet. Once he heard a child's voice saying, pick it up and read, pick it up and read. He finds a Bible lying nearby. He reads the words that pierces his heart. His life is totally transformed and he becomes an influential leader in the church. I'm talking about St. Augustine. There's another young man who's fervently religious, focuses on his own attempts to please God, establishes a religious club in his university. A later travels as a missionary to reach the lost, encounters one failure after another. After all of that, he realizes he himself doesn't have a personal assurance of salvation. And in a meeting one day, he hears the reading of Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And he says, my heart was strangely warmed. This man meets Jesus afresh. And his life will go on to change the course of an entire nation. The person I'm talking about is John Wesley, a militant atheist, highly intellectual, 
serves as a popular Oxford professor, thinks that the Christian faith is irrational, wants nothing to do with it. The last thing that he would want is to be converted. And all of a sudden, he says in his testimony, he was surprised by joy. And he writes, I am dragged, kicking and screaming, the most reluctant convert in the world. And that is none other than C.S. Lewis. She is a hip-hop sensation. Born in London to Tamil Sri Lankan parents. Calls herself a Hindu. Her songs skyrocket her to fame. Doesn't want anything to do with religion, though. She's reveling in her success. All of a sudden, one day, she sees a vision of Jesus. And the latest issue of Relevant Magazine talks about the profound, life-changing impact this vision has had on the popular hip-hop artist named M.I.A. Now, what do all these stories have in common? The common thread in all of this is the God who pursues. Salvation is about being pursued by Jesus, found by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, and being set free by Jesus. And today I want to demonstrate this through a familiar story in the Gospels. A text is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Uh, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you pray with me? Lord, as we start a new year, we want to hear a fresh word from you. We want to be guided and directed by your spirit. So would you speak to each one of us that what we hear will define our lives, will draw us closer in our walk with you. Lord, our hearts will be in tune with your spirit. Pray that there will be no distractions in this place. We will be able to focus our eyes on you, Jesus. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You are maybe seated. For the last 90 years, it has been the tradition for the British monarch 
to address the nation and the commonwealth on Christmas Day. For 70 of these years, the Christmas message was given by Queen Elizabeth. But due to her death in September, it was delivered for the very first time by King Charles. Now, the Christmas message is an incredible opportunity for the monarch to share their heart with the rest of the world. People pay close attention to what they have to say. While the late queen had been vocal about her personal faith in Jesus Christ and spoke of him as her Lord and Savior, King Charles, however, turned it into a diplomatic speech. He presented Christmas as celebrating the goodness of humanity and that it is a message for all faiths and even for those who have no faith. There was nothing in this message about the person of Jesus Christ, his uniqueness and supremacy. Uh, clearly, King Charles failed to articulate the gospel message. Now, it doesn't matter what an earthly king says, but the God of the Bible, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has spoken clearly and decisively through Jesus Christ. And his message doesn't celebrate the inherent goodness of all humanity, but it speaks of the awful reality of how our sins have separated us from God. But the good news of Christmas and the incarnation is God did not wait for us to reach out to him, but he first reached out to us. That is the message of the Bible text that we just read. This is the summary statement of Jesus' ministry. This is the very reason for his coming. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Can't get any clearer than that. That's the reason Jesus came. This is his mission statement, to seek and to save. He's looking for, seeking out, pursuing, giving opportunities for the lost and broken to encounter the truth. This is love that will not let us go. Oh, the lengths to which God will go in order to get the attention of just one person and win our heart's affection. That's what we see in the story of the Bible. Pastor Kyle Eidelman writes in his book, God's at War. If someone ever asks you, what is so special about Christianity? What sets it apart from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, or anything else? Your answer is found right here. Nowhere else do we find God in hot pursuit of people. Eidelman goes on to say, this is a God who gives us the freedom to say no but insists on giving us every possible conceivable chance to say yes. He has been called the hound of heaven because he never gets off the trail. Just like a hound dog is intensely focused as he pursues the hunt, so is the imagery of the hound of heaven pursuing each one of us. And that is what we see in the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was passing through the city of Jericho. It was one of the wealthiest cities during Jesus' time. There was a palace of Herod in Jericho, and several wealthy priestly families lived in the city. And we get introduced in the story 
to Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was one of the most hated people of his time. Now think about it. Even in today's world, nobody likes taxes. I bet the Canada Revenue Agency doesn't get too many thank you cards or Christmas cards. <laughs> it was worse in Jesus' time. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus collaborated and worked with the Roman government to collect hefty taxes on their behalf. In fact, he had a tax collecting crew that was working for him. Zacchaeus was a genuinely bad man, bilking his own people by siding with the oppressors. He's a crooked conman who would become rich. A modern-day equivalent of Zacchaeus would be a crack dealer. Tax collectors were the most unpopular people in Israel. But they were well-to-do. They made lots of money, wealthy people. But in spite of all that money and wealth that Zacchaeus had amassed, he knew there was something that was lacking in his life. It's that God-shaped vacuum within every human heart that our cravings cannot satisfy. A text says in Luke 19, verses 2 and 3, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Well, we have to speculate here. I bet Zacchaeus was a lonely man. He felt like any human being would, the sting of rejection. Or perhaps Zacchaeus had talked to Matthew, a fellow tax collector who had been changed by Jesus. Or maybe he had heard about Jesus and his extravagant kindness to those who were despised. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Zacchaeus' heart had all along longed for love and acceptance, which he never received from anybody in his time. And when he heard about Jesus, Zacchaeus wondered, would Jesus welcome somebody like me? And whatever it was, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He was a sincere seeker. Oh, yes, Zacchaeus' life was messed up. People around him thought he was crooked. There was no outward sign that he wanted to change. But deep within the recesses of his heart, that which is invisible to everybody else except God Almighty, Zacchaeus yearned to see Jesus. And do you know something interesting? The phrase, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, can be literally translated, Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. That same word is used to describe Jesus' mission. He came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was seeking for Jesus because Jesus was seeking for Zacchaeus. Being a short guy, Zacchaeus realized he will not be able to get a good view of Jesus in the midst of the crowd. So to reach a higher vantage point, he climbs a sycamore fig tree. The sycamore tree had a short trunk and it was easy to climb. It also had a dense foliage and 
the leaves uh, allowed for Zacchaeus to hide from the public view. You can say Zacchaeus was a secret seeker. He didn't want to gain any attention towards himself. He didn't want to be noticed or seen by anybody around him. But in spite of his desire to be anonymous, Zacchaeus was spotted. Jesus stopped right before that sycamore tree and he looked up to Zacchaeus. People in the crowd thought Jesus would say, Zacchaeus, you must be ashamed of yourself. You're a swindler, a conman, you're a traitor of your own people. You are going to burn in hell forever. Now, the crowd anticipated that Jesus would say something like that. And they would have widely cheered if Jesus had said those words. But that's not what Jesus says. Look at the text. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus is passing by the city. There are crowds of people thronging all around him. He is very popular. But as he passes that sycamore tree, Jesus knew there was someone there on top of that tree who was seeking for him. You can't hide from Jesus. He knows it all. Jesus knows a true seeker. He, in fact, knows them by name. You may hide your efforts to seek God. You may not want others to find out about it. But God, who sees all things, knows the longings of your heart. You may search for who is God on Google. And nobody knows your search history, but God knows. You, you may go to the chapter's bookstore and take a look at the latest books on spirituality. You may not share that detail with others, but God knows. You're on Netflix and you're tired of watching those romantic comedies and dumb holiday movies. And you go and look at what's on the faith and spirituality section. You're curious. Perhaps you've been anonymously watching our church services online for a long time. God knows that you're seeking. In fact, I'll say this. The reason you're seeking for God is because he's been all along seeking for you. And he is eager to open your eyes so you may see the extent of his love for you. Jesus knew Zacchaeus was seeking. He was yearning for more. The deep within his heart, Zacchaeus was sick and tired of his lifestyle, of being a conman, being looked down by everybody, sick and tired of cheating others and taking their hard-earned money. And Jesus stops right by that sycamore tree. And I bet Zacchaeus didn't expect that. He didn't expect Jesus would know him by name. And he definitely didn't expect that Jesus was going to invite himself to Zacchaeus' house. Now try this on somebody. Hey, nice to meet you. By the way, I'm coming over to your house today. See how that goes. Yeah, they're meeting each other for the very first time, right? And Jesus says, dude, I want to hang out with you. Zacchaeus was seeking 
for Jesus. Jesus has all along been seeking for Zacchaeus, and their lives intersect in front of that sycamore tree. That is no coincidence. It's called God's providence. And Jesus says, I want to come to your house. That is extending friendship in that culture. Now pay attention to what Jesus says. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus doesn't say, I want to stay at your house or I would like to stay at your house. He says, I must stay at your house today. It is binding. It is necessary. It is something inevitable. And do you know where else that word must is used in the Gospel of Luke? It's used to refer to the cross. Luke chapter 17, verse 25 says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as Jesus' suffering on the cross was a must, it must be fulfilled in order to complete the divine mission. In the same way, it was a divine necessity for him to stay at Zacchaeus' house. It was divinely ordained. This would lead to life change and life transformation was absolutely necessary for the savior of the world to go to the house of a social outcast. Let me ask you, do you know anybody in your life, a family member, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor who's looking for God? They may not overtly express it, but you know from your conversations with them that they are Seeking, sometimes in the wrong places. We have a God-given responsibility to share Christ's love with those people. God wants to use you to create an avenue for a divine encounter to take place. Just this Christmas season, the community group that I'm part of, we invited non-Christian friends we know who are seeking or looking for God for a Christmas potluck. It was a simple event. But we were amazed to see how many of them said yes to the invitation. And we ate together. We sang carols. I shared a brief gospel message. And that turned out to be the highlight for this Christmas season for our whole family. So who are the people in your life we're seeking for God. And how are you sharing the life-changing gospel message with them in the context of relationship? And there's a course that we offer here at Sinistry Church called Alpha. And it's for this very reason. It serves as a safe place to bring people who are seeking for God or have spiritual questions or even curious so they can learn about the basics of the Christian faith in a non-threatening environment. And it can be a great evangelistic tool to introduce someone to the life-changing message of the gospel. And we've seen it happen over and over again over the years as God has used this tool to bring life change and transformation. I want you to watch this uh, testimony of Selena and the impact that Alpha Course had on her life and how God 
pursued her and brought her to himself. Could you please play this video right now? Well, initially, um, I think for the first number of years, I had no religion. I had no exposure to any kind of faith or spirituality. Um, but I did uh, start believing in God um, in my probably tween years and um, always felt like God was with me and taking care of me and making sure I was safe. By the time I was uh, about 24, uh, I was introduced to um, Eastern philosophy from my then boyfriend and um, started following uh, those principles for about nearly 20 years at that point. I felt like the purpose uh, to life was to have a love, loving relationship with God. And I didn't feel any love um, to God on that journey. So uh, I went seeking somewhere else um, after a, a long stagnant time of not having that space in my heart filled. So my husband is Christian, so I wanted to explore Christianity as I've never really given it uh, a fair chance. And so we came to Center Street because his father uh, used to bring him here. The first door opened when somebody at church gave me a Bible that I could understand. <laughs> Before that point, I had a King James Bible and I tried to read it through the years and I just couldn't make any sense of it. So not knowing that there was updated language um, and translations that I could understand probably helped me back on my journey to find Christ. You know, I had a lot of existential questions about the religion itself. I uh, went through Alpha. They helped me understand who Jesus was, um, why he was important, and um, you know some other questions as well, like with the Holy Spirit, I didn't know what that was. Um, the purpose of praying, I didn't, you know, had never actually done that. Um, so they've really helped me begin my journey to come to where I am right now. With all the signs and all the people that have come, you know, uh, to help me and um, everything that I've been learning, I got to a point where I could not deny it any longer, and I feel like uh, I was through my critical process um, toward the end, I felt like I was rebelling and I decided to stop doing that. And at the end of the sermon, um, they had you know, said a prayer to let Jesus into your heart. And I truly prayed and I opened up and I gave that space to him and he's been there since. There's, you know, signs that if you're paying attention, you know, God is often calling and revealing himself to you. But if you're not paying attention to these signs, then you'll miss them. What an encouraging story. Now, if we are paying attention, then we will realize that God has been pursuing us all along. So bring somebody who is spiritually seeking with you to Alpha. You can find out more information by going to our website, cschurch.ca slash alpha. And pray that God would use this evangelistic tool this year to introduce many more people to Jesus. 
going back to the story of Zacchaeus, it's fascinating to see how the crowd responded. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, normally it is the religious people who act that way in the Gospels, but this time it's the crowd. Uh, given the notoriety of Zacchaeus, a despised tax collector, the crowd was offended that Jesus would go and spend time in his house. That person was defiled. His house was unclean. Uh, sitting on his chair and sleeping in his bed would make Jesus defiled. Jesus, you have no business hanging out with people like that. And Jesus' response would be, that is my mission. I came for people like Zacchaeus. That's why I left the glories of heaven to enter into our world of brokenness and pain because I want to seek and save the lost. And what do we see in the Gospels? Jesus is constantly going after the people who are in the fringes of the society. And Jesus is not ceremonially defiled by those people. It's usually the other way around. When Jesus rubs shoulders with the sinners, Jesus doesn't become defiled. They become clean. Jesus is so engaged in pursuing Zacchaeus and bringing him to repentance that he doesn't mind the hostility of the crowd. Jesus was willing to face the heat. And what are we willing to bear? What price are we willing to pay in order to see someone come to faith in Jesus? People like Zacchaeus are all around us. God brings them our way for a purpose. We just need to be sensitive in reaching out to them and share the love of Jesus with those who are hurting and broken. Zacchaeus had been despised all his life. That's all he knew. He had been rejected, ignored, called names, treated so badly. But for the first time in his life, perhaps, he comes across such costly, sacrificial love that's willing to pay a price for him. A love that wouldn't be swayed by the protests of the crowd. A love that would back him up in the face of his opponents. And that was enough to melt Zacchaeus' heart. It had a profound impact on his life. It is fascinating that Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus to give his money away or make restitution. Jesus doesn't give him a long lecture or a sermon. This is not something that is being enforced or piled upon Zacchaeus. But it is a natural, voluntary response to experiencing such unconditional love. So Zacchaeus on his own stands up and says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, that is the power of the gospel. It's not rules and regulations that change the human heart. It is a relationship with God. Laws are powerless to bring about that transformation, but God's love is able to do that deep change. (laughs) 
Life change is a consequence of encountering Christ's love. And Zacchaeus doesn't earn salvation by giving his money or performing this act of restitution. It was merely a proof or evidence of his salvation. And what does Jesus say in verse 9? Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house. It's passive. It means someone brought salvation to the household of Zacchaeus. It's the God who had been pursuing him all along. He brings salvation to Zacchaeus' household. Jesus accepted Zacchaeus even before he changed. He offered him a new status, and that in turn led to a radical life change and life transformation. And now Zacchaeus is no longer ostracized. But Jesus commends him by calling him a son of Abraham, turning him into a person of immense worth and value. The final verse of the text with which we started reaffirms Jesus' mission. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep and he brings them all back home. The sheep are always prone to wander. The confidence of the sheep is not in their ability to keep themselves from going astray. But the confidence is in the character of the good shepherd who will risk his life and even lay his life down for the sake of the sheep. If there's someone who knew the power of a God who pursues, it was Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson grew up in England where he had a difficult childhood. As a young man, he and his friends went to listen to the great evangelist George Whitfield, mainly to poke fun, heckle, and cause trouble. But the words that Robinson heard that day just changed his life, led to his conversion. Two years after that incident, Robert Robinson wrote the popular hymn, Come the Fount of Every Blessing. And here in this hymn, he tells his own life story. He writes, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. And unbeknownst to Robinson, he confessed in the hymn about his wandering heart. He wrote those well-known words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy coats of power. Robert Robinson admitted that he had a wandering heart. And that was played out in his life. Years later, this same man left the pastoral ministry, slowly walked away from the faith, turned his back totally on Jesus. And there is an unverified story which has been told by many. I'm not sure if it really happened or not, but there's a good possibility that it indeed happened. But just before he died, 
Robinson found himself riding on a stagecoach next to a woman, singing that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The woman noticed that Robinson was emotionally affected by her singing. So she asked him what he thought of that hymn. The story says Robinson's eyes was filled with tears. And he looked at her and he said, Ma'am, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had them. As we start a new year, let us remind ourselves, our hearts are prone to wander. We all are vulnerable to that. If left alone, each one of us will become lukewarm in our faith and we will fail to love Jesus the way we should. But thank God that he has not left us helpless on our own. But we can be grateful that we have a God who pursues. He comes looking for us. He's the one who's been pursuing us all along. He brings us to himself. His love will not let you go. And when we meditate on God's selfless love, like Zacchaeus, we are changed. We are motivated to live differently. It's not something that's enforced or imposed on us, but it is a a natural response, an overflow of that encounter with Christ. Would you take a moment right now and to reflect on what you've heard? I'm going to ask all of us to stand. Now, towards the end of a sermon, we often ask two questions here. Lord, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? So would you close your eyes right now and pause and in the quietness of this moment, ask those two questions. For some of you, God just wants to remind you of how he pursued you, how he came looking for you, how he opened your eyes to the truth. And that fresh reminder is what you need as you start a new year, to be reminded of the character of the God who came looking for you. But I also know there are some of you here You're like Robert Robinson. You wandered away from your first love. And this is an opportunity that the God who's been pursuing you wants to provide you yet again. To open your eyes that you will be able to see the extent of his love and to woo you back once again to his fold. And if that is you, and I don't want you to leave this place without reconciling your relationship with God. Return back to Him. Come home. And His arms are open wide to welcome you into the family. So let's maintain a moment of silence.